The nice wrap. <clears throat> we got to do a, some nice wrapping around here, shouldn't we? I want to thank all the praise and worship this morning. And uh, Michael, you guys did a fantastic job. It's just so nice to come in and be able to worship the Lord, uh, to be able to sit in his presence. <clears throat> the reason I did the, the nice wrap this morning is that uh, it's nice to be nice, isn't it? It's just nice to be nice. It feels good to be nice. It's nice when people are nice to you. It's, it's, there's something about it. And I think about when Jesus was born. Do you know that when Jesus Christ was born, with the exception of, of when we look at the powerful people in Jerusalem and Israel, with the exception of the uh, wise men, all the powerful people hated him. All the, all the influential people were not nice tomb. We know that the, the uh, shepherds and all those, they, were, they loved them and they cared, but all the powerful people hated them. And, and basically, whenever Jesus Christ came into this world, the question that was asked by so many, what are you here for? What, what are you here for? Herod, wh- why are you here? Are you here to, to raise up another party that's gonna come against mine and, and try to overrun the uh, regime here? You're gonna try to be the head honcho? The Philistines, or yeah, the Philistines, the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees. What are you, you, you gonna start a new, a new religion? Are you gonna take over ours? He was just run down by hate from day one. Can you imagine that? People hating you from day one? Are you gonna be the next religious scam? I thought I was the only one who was hated from birth. It's not true. But Jesus Christ hated from birth as a baby. You hear just the full people? You know, uh, when I was two, three years out of school, I, went, I got with my friend Hal, and we were running around, and um, I was really a good boy, and, and he wasn't. He just influenced me terribly. No, Hal was a great guy. He's still a great guy. But Hal, we're, we're out driving around, and we drive down the street, and he says, hey, old schoolmate, old schoolmate here lives in this house. I went, who is it? He goes, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, come on, tell me who it is. Nope. We pull over. We walk up onto the, the porch, and he knocks on the door, and uh, the door opens, and it was a young lady from school who disliked me very much. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, and my friend Hal had backed off the porch and was nowhere in sight. And she's like, so what are you here for? Well, there is nothing like being somewhere that you don't know why you're there. Awkward, awkward, awkward. Thank the Lord that Jesus knew exactly 
from moment one why he was here. He knew exactly why he came. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why the angels announced in Luke 2.11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord he came to gave, give the greatest gift, and that's the gift of salvation. Now, I want you to hear this. <clears throat> there's a ton of things that uh, you can learn about in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament. There's a ton of things that, that, you, that you can get and begin to understand, and it's exciting and it's wonderful. But when it comes to importance, there is nothing more important than salvation. It rides way up here. Everything else rides right about here. Salvation. He added nothing that went, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the number one item. The gift of God. He didn't come to bring religion. Now get this. Salvation gives 100% security to you. 100%. Not 99.99 100% security you get in salvation through Christ. Religion brings a false sense of security. That's the saddest thing. It's the saddest thing ever. I would rather sit down and talk with, with somebody who's out living a horrible, horrid lifestyle and says, you know what, I'm going to hell and I know it. I would rather sit down and talk with that person than a religious person that says, oh, Pastor Lou, but you have your way and I have mine. That's my religious voice. <laughs> so I guess we just disagree. Listen, religion is a false sense of security. Read in Matthew 7 where Jesus has to say to people, depart from me, I never knew you. But then we do these things, then we prophesy in your name, then we do all these things in your name. And he says, he turns to them and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Religion gives you false security. Salvation, you are 100% secure. Surveys... Uh, that are taken confirmed that 90%, listen to this, 90% of our society prays numerous times during a year. 90% pray numerous times during the year. What does that mean? That means that people recognize that they have a problem. They have something that they can't take care of. They have something that's, that's horrible in their life and they pray. But who they pray to, who knows? Maybe they pray to God, maybe they pray, but they pray. They, they say, this is bigger than me. And I, I've just got to pray tight spot. Ultimately, they just want to be saved from something that they can't solve. It's called foxhole prayers. But the faith and hope only last as long as the crisis. When the crisis is over, ah, just back to being a good old boy, good old girl. 2 Timothy 3.5. Timothy said that in the last days, that it would be very, very difficult, very, very difficult. And he says that, that people would begin to, they begin to flock to pleasure. They would begin to, to flock to uh, anything and everything. And it says that they have a form of godliness, 
but they deny the power therein. And he says, from such turn away. Don't get caught up in that because religion gets you nowhere. There's even some saved who act like religious people. But religion gets you nowhere. Salvation is the gift of God. Uh, I gave a statement in the first service here. I'm gonna give it to you. Um, I've never figured it out, so I don't expect you to, but always remember this anyway. A gift not offered is a travesty. A gift not received is a tragedy. You got that? Oh, you shake your head. Yeah, you couldn't say it again if I... Here it is. A gift not offered is a travesty, but a gift not received is a tragedy. To illustrate that, I bought my son-in-law, Matt, two boxes of whole fruit coconut ice cream bars. It makes you a little faint, don't it? If you've ever had one, you are now just like, give me a second, just give me a second. Two boxes. They were buy one, get one. But anyway, I, I got him two boxes and, and he was coming and, uh, th- that Friday and he came and Terry's like, Matt, Lou, got you two boxes of uh, whole fruit. Ice cream cones, buddy, ate them all. I ate every single one of them in four days. It was less than a week. It was like five days. I ate every, my gift, my gift for him was, you see, a a gift not offered is a travesty. We believe that God's gift of salvation is offered to everyone and not just some. That's what we believe here. I know there's different beliefs out there. We believe that God's gift of salvation is offered to every single person from the, from the worst to the best to the whatever across the boards that salvation is offered to all. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to, re, uh, come to repentance. And again, I know that there's a disagreement. I know that some uh, feel that God has chosen a, a select number and then they'll be saved. There's a pool that, uh, you know, a pool of people that he is. You know, the only difference between you and me is I have a bigger pool than you. Jesus Christ desires to save you. He desires to save your soul. And it's a travesty if God were to have a gift and not, and not offer it. He offers it to all. Now, the second part of that, to reject that gift is a tragedy. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Man, that's on your notes. Read that one, circle it, highlight it. That ought to literally, if you're a believer, that ought to drive your life. What things are you tied up in? What things are you you spending your time with? When you look here and you know there are folks who are not going to heaven. There are folks who don't know Jesus Christ as their savior. They don't have everlasting life. 
And yet we're gonna spin our wheels and things so that we're, we're a little happier. We're, we're a little, you know, we look a little, a little better, or whatever. It's fine. But listen, don't ever get your priorities out of, out of line here. It's important to know that rejection of Christ is a tragedy, but it's even a bigger tragedy if we don't present it, if we don't offer it, if we don't bring that message to people. Three dimensions of salvation. First one here is Jesus came to save you from your sin. You got that? Jesus came to save you from your sin. I, I don't like this when a preacher does it, so I do it because it irritates me. I'm gonna irritate you with it. Uh, I want you to say that. Say what I just said. Jesus came. Yeah. And what did I say? Jesus came to save you from your sin. So what I did was I just pointed at every single person in this room. Every one of you, you got it. You got my short little stubby finger right in your face. But you know what you did too? You pointed your finger at me. You pointed your finger right at me and said, Jesus came to save you from your sin. Why did he come? To seek and to save that which was lost. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have no sin. You don't usually hear anybody say I don't have any sin, sin but I know my grandmother at 90 some years old, um, Pastor Culp, from Altoona Bible Church was talking to her. And he, and he said, Maude, he said, have you asked Jesus into your heart to forgive your sins? And I remember my, my grandmother in her 90s said, what have I ever done? He said, well, Maude, we, we, we've all sinned. And she said, I never killed anybody. Hmm. You don't have to kill anybody to be a sinner. You don't have to do what we call the really bad sins to be a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. For all, every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin's a pride problem. What did I ever do? It's an attitude of the heart. Sin is saying that even if there really is a God, I don't need him. I can get through this life. It's a pride problem. The problem with sin is that it separates us from God. It serves as a roadblock to the Almighty. I came to the Grand Prix yesterday. When I came in, everybody was already in here. Joe was speaking. And, and all I wanted to do was say hi to my good friend, Randy Febre. That's all I wanted to do. He's a judge. He's a judge for the cars and my grandson's car was back there and they were back there judging. And so being the super friendly guy that I am, I wanted to go back and say hi to my friend and maybe let him know which car was my grandson's. And you know, it's, it, it says here that there's a roadblock that comes in I don't know if it was the 
angel of the Lord. I don't know if it was an archangel or I don't know what it was. But I know it had a name. His name was Nathan Karn. <laughs> and it came between me <laughs> and the judges. <laughs> there was no way I was ever going to get to those judges. So if you see Archangel Karn, <laughs> we're blocked. We're absolutely blocked from God. Isaiah 59, two says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. I, I love this verse. People will say, you know what? God don't hear me. You don't listen to me. You don't care what I have to say. I want to tell you something. If you're running and doing your own thing, if you're just living a lifestyle sin, he's not obligated to hear you. Can he? Yes. Can he hear everything that's ever offered up? He absolutely can. But he's not obligated to sit and listen when we cry out whenever we just want out of something. It says that he will not hear. But when you cry out and you mean it, his ear is always inclined to us. Paul said in Romans 7, 15, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not. But what I hate to do, I do. See, we're sinners by very nature. We're sinners from birth. As children, we're sinners by nature. I remember back when my girls were two, four, and six. We had them two years apart. Um, I tell people now when I talk to them, I said, I didn't sleep for six years. I had, I had one baby, and then as soon as that baby was two and started to sleep, Terry's like, I want another baby. I'm like, oh, great. And, and so we, we have another one, and then that two years go by, and they're starting to sleep, and I'm like, oh, this is great. Let's have one more baby. And so... It's like sick. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, you're getting uh, baby loves a lot if you want any more because I have to sleep. It's been six years since I've had to sleep. But they were two, four, and six. And I came into the room and she had them all dressed up. They had their little fluffy dresses on. They had their little shoes on. And she's dressing them. And, and honestly, I looked and I went, oh, man, I'm so blessed. Three little girls and a beautiful wife. And it, it just doesn't get any better than this. And honestly, I started to get choked up. And, and I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Just about that time, my middle daughter, Danielle, she leaned over and she bit Brittany. <laughs> Not kidding. She laid into her. <laughs> Terry picked up Brittany and hanging off of her like a bulldog was Danielle. <laughs> Man, everything changed like that. Every time I ripped her off of there, and, and I mean, I was in an absolute fever there. Uh, you know, I went from uh, Mother Teresa to the Godfather in like 0.02 seconds. I'm like, what matter you want to hurt your sister, huh? You want to hurt your sister? You want to hurt me, huh? What's the matter you? It's awful. 
from the presence of God to the pits of hell in 0.02 seconds because we're sinners. We're sinners. Jesus came to set you free from your sin. He also wants to set you free from yourself. We are the main source for most of our problems. Each one of us were born with an eye problem. Did you know that? It doesn't require glasses either. How many of you have ever seen the movie Finding Dory? You ever seen it? If you haven't, don't watch it. It's not that great. Uh, but all those little seagulls are walking around. They're all walking around on the dock. And what are they doing? Mine, 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 mine. Their whole focus was on what am I going to get? What can I get? That's mine. That's not yours. That's mine. And the whole focus was here. Whole focus was here. They had a whole universe to fly and to soar and to see. But their focus came down to mine, 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 mine. You're going to watch the movie now, aren't you? You're going to watch that just for that part. Romans 7, 24 and 25 says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Jesus came to save you from your sin. He came to save you from yourself. Second thing we want to look at is, is that Jesus came to save you for a purpose. One of the greatest contributors to depression is a lack of purpose. Hear that? One of the greatest contributors today to depression is a lack of purpose. I've had this happen two times in my life. Uh, but the one time downstairs in the rooms down there, we had these big folding dividers. They were about this uh, thick. They're big, wide, and they divided off a room down there. And we decided to tear them out and make one room. So I went down with some of the guys. They're like, hey, you, you want to help us carry them out there? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I think. Uh, is it down there? We're going to carry it? Or is it over there? I'm, I'm with you. So we all went down. I'm hanging with the big boys. They picked them up. They were like, up, over their head. I was two feet underneath that. Here we are walking out. I'm going, I think, I think I'll go over and sit down. And they're like, oh, no, Pastor Lou, it's important you stay under. Okay, okay, I'll stay under. How dumb is that? Importance. Purpose. We've got to have purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I understand this concept and it's true. It's a true concept. And that is, it's not about what we do. It's about what God did. Absolutely, 100%. True statement. We hear that a lot though. It's not about what we do. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you do. 
And we hear a whole lot too about checking boxes. All you're doing is checking boxes. Oh, you know, when you check, well, you're just doing something. You're just doing something. I get that. Checking boxes does not get somebody to heaven. But some of you need to be checking a few more boxes than you are right now. You need to be looking at what you can do for the Lord. We get so conditioned as to what I don't have to do to be a Christian. I wanted to write a book. 20 things you don't have to do to be a Christian. Bestseller. And then I'll follow it with a 30 things you don't have to do to be a Christian. Again, these concepts are true. You don't get to God by checking boxes. You don't get by what you do. You don't gain his merit. You don't gain his love. But listen, he's called you for a purpose. If you're a born again believer, he's called you for a purpose. Jesus saved you for a purpose. In Acts 9 verse 6, I have the whole thing written down here, but it's uh, Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion. And we see that he's journeying to Damascus. I'll start in verse three, Acts 9, uh, three. As he journeyed near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around about from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling, listen to what he said right after he got saved. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? First words out of his mouth. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. What do you want me to do? I'm gonna tell you what you must do. He didn't say, well, listen, if, if things are pretty convenient and the time works out for you uh, really, really well, maybe you could consider doing this for me, Paul. Maybe you could consider that. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you make a list of what you... He said, you go to the city and I'll tell you what you must do. What are we doing? What are we doing? God has given us so many resources. He's not calling you to go crazy. He's calling you just to be a resource to him. Maybe open up your house a a night every two weeks for a small group. I could never lead a small group. Nobody ever asked you to. But maybe you could open your house up for one. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's had it all along. And as your creator, he knows what you are best suited for. He not only saves you from your sins, but he saves you for a purpose, a purpose he wants you to fulfill. You'll never be completely satisfied until you're uh, fulfilling his purpose, never. And he'll use you. He will never abuse you. Well, if I step out, I'll be abused. You're not doing the right thing then if you're being abused. He will use you to bring glory to his name. Acts eleven thirty six. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his ancestors and his uh, body decayed. Second Corinthians five fifteen. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. 
God never created anything or anybody without a purpose. Never. In the book Purpose Driven Life, Rick Warren says this, that people live uh, to one of three levels, survival, success, or significance. Most of the world lives on a survival level. Great numbers in the third world countries live well below the poverty level. If you live in the United States, you live at the successful level. Do you ever hear people say, oh, I'm poor, I'm poor? No, you're not. Even if you feel very poor, most of the world would love to live in what you consider poor here in the U.S., but success does not satisfy. So many uh, have a lot in America, yet still uh, nothing to live for. You were created for significance, but you will never find significance in possessions, pleasures, possessions. Significance only comes from service, giving your life away for a greater purpose than yourself. That's how you find significance. We finish this with Jesus came to save you by his grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What is grace? Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve and doesn't give you what you do deserve in eternity separated from him in hell. Grace is God's way of when he says, I'm going to take your problem and make it my problem. I want to quickly, in closing here, just read you uh, a story Kevin Bacon wrote about his son. Actor Kevin Bacon recounted when his six-year-old son saw Footloose for the first time. He said, hey, Dad, you know that thing that in the movie where you swing from the rafters on that building? That's really cool. How'd you do that? I said, well, I don't do that part. It was a stuntman. Well, what's a stuntman, Dad? That's someone who dresses like me and does things I can't do. Oh, he replied, and then he walked away in the other room looking a little puzzled. A little later, he said, hey, Dad, you know that thing in the movie where you spin around on that gym bar and land on your feet? How did you do that one? I said, well, I didn't do that. It was a gymnast double. What's a gymnast double? That's a guy who dresses in my clothes and does things that I can't do. There was a silence from my son. Then he asked in a concerning voice, Dad, what did you do? (laughs) Kevin Bacon said, I got all the glory. (laughs) I got all the glory. The grace of God in our lives, Jesus took the sin upon himself and he did everything that we might experience all the glory of heaven. Mm. It doesn't get any better than that. God's riches at Christ's expense. The good news is is that Jesus Christ came to save you. He came to save you from your hurts, your habits, your hang-ups. He came to save you for a purpose. And so all I ask you this morning is, are you truly saved? Are you gonna live and die at Grace Bible Church a religious person and stand before God and go, you never what? Are you going to live and die a religious person? You going to fool everybody? Good job. It works until you breathe your last breath. And then that's over. You can trust Jesus Christ right now, right where you sit. From the, the bottom of your heart, cry out and say, Lord Jesus, I've been, I've, I've been a phony before people. I've been a religious person. 
Everybody thinks I'm good to go. I'm not. I never trusted you as personal savior. I never invited you into my heart and said, forgive me, Lord Jesus. I'm getting forgiveness through your shed blood. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I'm trusting in you that you will take me to heaven with you. I've not done that. And maybe I did mouth it one day, but there's never been evidence. I never really meant it. Is there evidence in your life, biblical evidence that you truly are saved? If there's no biblical evidence and you've been saying you're a Christian for a while, you're not. Because if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. There will be change. Are you truly saved? Here's all I'd ask you to do. Don't leave these, these doors. Don't leave this building until you know where you stand. At least walk out of here and say, according to the word of God, I'm a religious person and I know that I'm not right with God. At least no, don't be fooled. No. Or walk out and say, I'm a born again believer. I know it according to God's word. And I'm gonna look every day to see what purpose he has for me. What does he want me to do? I'm gonna look for that purpose every single day of my life. And then third, I'm going to take and I'm gonna give him all the glory because he did it all. I get all the riches of glory and he did all the work and sing his praises. I close with this. I know that there's people who in here would say, Pastor Lou, I've heard the gospel message over a thousand times and now I have to come to church this morning. Here you say it one more time. You've heard the gospel a thousand times. How many times have you told it? How many times have you told the gospel to somebody? It's the most important thing ever by far. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Man, if you need help, we have people who will go in the back room there and sit and talk with you and show you uh, the scripture on that. It'd be folks who'd love, but don't leave this room confused. Know where you stand with God and then live out your life for the glory of God.